good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. To the ghosts out in the hall, the pain peeling off the walls. Good night. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is Sue Frederick. She's my first guest. Her book is I See Your Dream Job, a career intuitive, which is Sue, shows you how to discover what you were put on earth to do, which I'm sure most of us would like to know. Uh, Sue's referred to as the Emerald of Enlightenment, Enlightenment, and uh, you've seen her on CNN, and she's been featured in the New York Times. Um, and I guess Sue's premise is, could fear be holding you back from reaching your goals? So as a professional intuitive, Sue's going to give us some practical knowledge if we have fears that we think aren't allowing us to do what we want to do that can help us to find our true calling. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Sue. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here with you, Catherine. Okay, so this is your new book, I See Your Dream Job. Well, actually, that's, that's not my new one. That's my first one, and that one oh. came out in 2009, and my oh. newest one is I See Your Soulmate, which is about relationships. Oh, okay. So oh, I have, we're, doing, we're doing the job one today. Yeah, that's great. I love both of them, and they both help people. So, <laughs> yeah, to do it. Especially, I think, I See Your Dream Job is really important today because everybody's looking for a job, and right. things are, I think, really tense, and sometimes... Don't you think people oftentimes will blame, and not that this isn't a cause for people not to be able to get a job, but they, they may blame it on the market, on, on right. sort of outside external things. And you're saying maybe it's something within, within us that keeps right. us from getting well, the job. My perspective on it is that we all come here with a big mission to accomplish. We intend to get here into this physical world and live up to our greatest potential and that we all have a unique, great work inside of us, every one of us here. And what happens is we come in intuitively knowing that, and as we get older, we get talked out of it, meaning that the world tells us that we can't do that for a living or that you can't, uh, you're not good enough to do that. And so by the time people are even in their 20s now, they have already given up their intuited dream path that they know they're here to do and instead gotten an MBA, for example, because everybody's told them that's what they have to do to make a living. And when we're not doing our true work and we're just doing a career to make money for security, it never brings us to great financial success or happiness. And that's sort of the big uh, myth that we have going here is that you've got to take that career for success, I mean, for security in order to have financial security and happiness, and it doesn't get you there. So why do we keep doing it? I mean, we're talking about <laughs> millions and millions of people who continue to do this, continue to be dissatisfied with their work, and don't even do well in their work because they are picking jobs simply because they think they're going to right. make a lot of money. Well, so. I think it's a spiritual crisis that we're all in, Catherine, and the reason I say spiritual is that when we think that we're just physical bodies in a physical world bumping into these challenges and we have no power over the economy, no power over job shortages, etc., we get into what I call our pitiful self. We all have the pitiful self. And the pitiful self is our left brain, logical, fear-based mind, okay? 
But we also have a right brain or an intuitive self, a higher consciousness. You can call it the creative side or the spiritual side. And when we tap into that, we go into our place of knowingness, of knowing what we're here to do and knowing what the next step is to take. And our whole world, or our culture at least, is very obsessed with the left brain linear logical thinking. And that's what has gotten our world where it is. And now there is an awakening, I believe, where people are beginning to say, wait a minute, my gut tells me to do this other thing, and I'm going to do it in spite of what all my friends say or my parents say. I'm going to follow my gut. And that means that we're waking up to that intuitive voice inside of ourselves, which is always guiding us correctly. How do we do that? How can we get into that, at least have that attitude so that we can do what you're saying, to use that, the right brain, as you say, our spiritual selves? Well, you know, sometimes it takes a wake-up call from the universe to get us to uh, pay attention. And I always say that, We don't have to learn our lessons through pain, for example, divorce, bankruptcy, job loss, illness, but those events seem to get our attention better than anything else. And then we start asking the important questions like, wait a minute, who am I really? Why am I here? What happens when I die? What's the purpose of my life? And once we're asking those big questions, and we get quiet, I mean, I believe everyone should spend 20 minutes a day in some sort of sacred prayer or meditation to quiet the mind, ask those questions, tap into their intuitive side, their spiritual side, without speaking, without thinking. And once they have done that once a day for 20 minutes, they begin to get very comfortable with that inner voice, and they learn to trust it. Uh, I'm trying, you know, as you're doing it, I'm kind of going through the process. Yeah, I think that... uh, uh, I guess the question is, how do you how do you actually when you're you say you take that twenty minutes a day and you're you're trying to tap into that spiritual side? Um, I mean, you talk about identifying the qualities and the energy patterns, and you know you get very specific in the book. So how how do you do that? Because you know I find that, and maybe this is a this is a kind of a second question. You know, people don't begin to tap into the right side of their brain and really begin to question who they are and what they want until, I mean, I'm a baby boomer and I find that, you know, people get sick or they get diagnosed right. with cancer and then they say, oh, now I know what's important. I, right. I, I appreciate every day. Well, do you have to get cancer or some horrible disease? Well, well, no. And you see, I'm also a baby boomer as well and I work with clients every day in their 50s who whose lives have fallen apart and they're finally asking the important questions. But I also work with many 20-year-old students and, and, uh, and kids these days who are very aware that their parents, for example, followed the path of doing everything right, going after security, and they watched their dad lose everything when the stock market you know, fell apart. And so they're realizing they want to do things differently. And I do think more and more people are waking up to the idea that There isn't some corporate job that's going to make them happy forever if they can just get it. Or there isn't some, uh, you know, uh, career where they're going to be taken care of for the rest of their lives. And as the outer world begins to change that way, and we all have to dig inside and go, well, wait a minute, how can I reinvent myself 
so that I can make my money on my terms from my gifts and my passion and my dreams. I think we are going back to a more entrepreneurial culture, entrepreneurial world where people are saying, well, maybe, you know, running that little business I've always dreamt of business, of running is really what I should be doing, uh, to make myself happy and successful. And, and don't you think, I, I agree with you, and, I, and uh, I think this the whole issue of entrepreneurship and perhaps the Internet has allowed us to do that exactly. too, some of these external forces so that you can you can even get money for a little startup business if you want, the Kickstart exactly. thing. With it. Yeah, so, uh, and then that sort of starts the ball rolling, I guess, with everybody because you have access, you can be able, you're able to do that. Right. Um, And then another thing is I always ask my clients and my students, I say, you know, if I gave you $5 million right now and I said you can only keep this money if you use it to reinvent your career and do your great work, what would you do? That question shifts you out of your left brain logic mind into your right brain intuitive self where you go, oh, well, you know, I would start that business or I would write that book or I would get that Ph.D., and when you go into that place of fearless thinking, fearless ideas, then you remember again who you are and what you're here to do. And in my book, I have a lot of questions like that to get you to shift out of your fear-based monkey mind into your intuitive self. But do you think, Susan, that there are... I was going to say, do you think that there are people who really do better with structure and perhaps there are some people who are better at working at a corporation, let's say, where they tell you what to do or or for the government? But I also think, Catherine, that it has to do with our individual um, uh, awareness. So, for example, there are many people who need to start out working in that corporate world and and not having a say in anything and just sort of learning how the world works. But they are going to hit wake-up calls as well. And in my book, I teach about these nine-year reinvention cycles that we all have, and they hit us at different times. And you might love your job today. You might have the greatest boss on earth. But in a few years, that's going to probably change. You're going to hit the end of a growth cycle in your own life, and everything will be up for review and you're going to have to decide, do I hang on to this job even though it no longer makes me happy? Or is this the time when I now kick it up a notch, reinvent? And one of the things we have to realize is that change is required in down here. You know, we all have reinvention points we hit when we've got to say, well, who cares if I went to law school and I was a lawyer for 10 years? It has nearly killed me. Now I am going to reinvent and all of those skills and talents I developed in that other career, I'll bring them into this new career, this new business. Why is it nine years? Why every nine years is the reinvention cycle? Well, it's pretty fascinating, Catherine. I began studying the Pythagoras theory of numbers back in 1980. My husband died from cancer then, and I was hitting one of those reinvention points and asking a lot of big questions. Why are we here? Who am I? And somebody gave me a numerology reading, and I was fascinated by it. And one of the things that Pythagoras taught back in 580 B.C., the guy who created our number system, is that we all do have these nine-year reinvention cycles, and he mapped them out. And 
when I work with clients, I help them understand, you know, wow, the reason that you're hitting this job loss, this divorce, and all of these things now is that you're at the end of a cycle. And I take them back to look at the last time they hit the end of a nine-year cycle, and they go, wow, that's when that happened. And people go, aha, now I understand. These are cycles where change was required. And the greatest thing I love hearing is people going, wow, I was beating myself up for everything falling apart back then in that year. And now I look at it and I realize that was sort of my plan, that everything would fall apart then and that then I would reinvent and get to the life that I have now. So if we are, read your book and we have, I guess, our expectations are that we're going to reinvent mm-hmm. every nine years, it uh, gives us permission to do that, number one, doesn't right. it? I mean, it may, we, yeah, because uh, expectation has a lot to do with it. I mm-hmm. mean, I think we have one of the, I mean, I think people's fears or the fear is, you know, I should be doing mm-hmm. this or I should be doing that. And the expectation is that I should be doing it when what kind of should are we talking about? You don't have to. I know. Well, yeah. fortunately, I think the younger generation is a whole lot more aware of all of this. In fact, for 10 years, I taught freshmen at the University of Colorado in a class <laughs> called Choosing a Major for Your Meaningful Career. And And these kids, by the time they were in college, had already watched their parents go through so many things. And so many of these kids had already been through divorce in their household and So they were well aware that change is a constant and that even if they picked a career, it wasn't going to probably last their whole life. And I think when you and I were coming of age, probably our the world around us didn't look that way. I mean, my father had the same career his entire life and, you know, never questioned it. But things are just changing now. There's so much, uh, I call it vibrational frequency speeding up here where learning is required, evolution is required, and we are going to hit these major bumps in the road. And even when you watch the news and watch how quickly things are changing and old uh, things are crumbling, you begin to see, wow, okay, things are really much more intense than they were 20 years ago. And people do have to embrace change and reinvention. And the people who suffer the most are the ones who say, I don't want to change. I don't want to change. I'm going to stay the way I've always been. And the world will shake them and shake them and shake them until they finally reinvent. Yeah, I, I think that's very true. I think that uh, I, I think the statistics will bear me out, but uh, isn't it the younger people or the generation Y, I guess it mm-hmm. is, are... Uh, expected to or do, and Gen X does, I guess, change jobs every, what, two years, every exactly. three years? Exactly. Yeah. That wasn't how the world was when I came of age. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the thing you said, though, about taking the skills that you learn, I mean, I have two degrees, one in social work and one in education. Mm-hmm. So the expectation is there were just certain paths that you would take with those skills and those mm-hmm. degrees. Mm-hmm. But now those skills can be translated into doing radio interviews exactly. or, or, you know, a myriad of other things. And right. I think it's true for Many professions. And writing uh, your book, I hope. Have you written your book yet, Kathy? I haven't written my book. I like to talk. Somebody just asked me that two <laughs> days ago. And I said, you know, Sue, I said, I, I like to talk. I, I don't really like to write. Or, the paper uh, quarter uh, out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm much more of a talker, but no, I haven't written my book, but I probably will, or blog, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Everyone, yeah, everyone is blogging. But mm-hmm. so I, that getting back to the thing, there has to be the opportunity out there to be able for us for us to be able to do to take these skills and use them in a different way every nine years, for mm-hmm. instance. But the other thing too, I really believe, is a huge important piece of this is that we all have painful events that happen to us in our lives. You know, like I say in my book, my husband died when I was 29, and that was a big nudge for me, a big wake-up call. And nobody gets through life without some painful event that really shakes them to their core. And I believe that is on purpose. That pain is meant to be our fuel that helps us reinvent and do our greatest work in the world. And the way I think of it is our great work is offering to the world what we wish had been offered to us in our moment of greatest pain. Let's, can we talk about that in terms of like any, very specifically, either you, I mean, I'm assuming your moment of greatest pain, you're 29 years old when your husband died. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so for me, you know, it wasn't that it meant that then I was supposed to go work for hospice and help grieving people. That It's not that direct. What it meant was that as I held my husband in my arms at 29 and said, you know, and I actually saw his spirit leave his body as he was crossing over, I just suddenly went, I now realize that life is not about the physical world, that we are souls on a journey, that we go through experiences here on purpose in order to evolve and awaken. And somehow, someday, I will make my living helping other people understand that. And yet it took me many, many years to get to the place where I am now doing this work. But along the way, every job I took was in some way um, motivated by the pain of my husband's death. Even my, I was a journalist for many years, and the kinds of stories I wrote were about health, and I even wrote for a cancer magazine. My husband had died from cancer. And it was all about trying to help other people who might be going through what I had went gone through. And finally now, in my work and in my books, I'm trying to help everyone understand that their pain is their great fuel, that they did come here on purpose, that if they lose a job, it means it's their great moment of reinvention, and that they're all here to find that great work and do it, and they will feel successful and happy. Well, in, in describing your journey now, I'm, I'm thinking, I mean, you, you've done so many things, as you say, related to, the, to that experience and to, to your husband's death, but where are are you now? What, what, I mean, it seems to me, if, if anyone's listening to you or to all your accomplishments and everything that you've done, you say, well, have you reached the end of your... your <laughs> well, there's your, never... I don't want to say well, That's but, one of the great Hollywood yeah. myths, you know, that you ride <laughs> off into the sunset happily ever after. But I must say that I'm in a very... I'm very grateful. I have a wonderful husband, soulmate. I have two amazing kids in college, and... I've got another book, my third book, coming out in September, and I see clients for a living, and I teach workshops. I'm doing exactly what I came here in this lifetime to do. But I'll also say it took me many years to figure it out, and part of it for me was 
I wanted to be acceptable. I wanted to be conventional. Um, you know, I grew up in the 50s, and so I always had this idea, well, a journalist is acceptable, but an intuitive is not. Even though I'm very intuitive, I have to hide that. And it really wasn't until my late 40s when I said, and actually my journalism career had come to an end. I was at one of my reinvention points, and I said, the only thing I know to be true about myself is that I'm highly intuitive. I see the great potential in people. I have dreams that come true down to the last detail. And somehow I'm going to make my living from that. And I was a single mom with a four-year-old child, and and I was determined, and um, and it worked, and here I am. And that was one of my greatest reinvention points. Uh, that's a great story, obviously. But uh, that, how do you know if you're intuitive? I mean, did you well, know that when you were? Was there well, a sense of know, it when you were I growing think up? We, I think we're all intuitive. But for me, I was uh, strange as a kid. I, I think if anybody had ever uh, looked at my brain as a kid, the way they study kids nowadays, they would have said this child has almost no left brain. <laughs> <laughs> because I couldn't think very logically. I was very much a right brain kid. I mean, from the time I was little, I saw spirits, and I was creative and imaginative and writing all the time and uh, wrote stories when I was in first and second grade, and and I always had uh, dreams where the departed were talking to me, and trust me, as a kid, that was very terrifying. Well, you're and, like the, the, that television program. I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> Sure, you know which one it is. Right, to the right. story where she she people can't pass over because they haven't finished their business here on Earth. Exactly, sounds, exactly. I had like a sign on my head that said "Open for business" if you're on the other side and you have a message. And um, but it took me a long time to not be afraid of that gift, you know, and to understand how to use it, and that it was meant to help people. And that if a spirit showed up in my bedroom at night, it wasn't to scare me. It was because they had a message for me. And, well, who were the um, spirits? Were they people? I'm really curious. Were they people who you knew or know or just? Well, you know, the the hard part was sometimes they were for you know departed people for people I didn't know, but who I was going to meet in the next day or two, and I didn't realize that for a long time. It would just terrify me. This stranger standing beside my bed, and and then I finally, as I matured understood oh now i'm meeting you and you're grieving your husband and did he look like this with the plaid shirt blah 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 and i would describe the guy and they would go yes that's my husband i would say well he's got a message for you but you know i was always very strange Catherine. i have to say it took me a long time to figure out how to use my intuition correctly well, it's. I mean, you obviously have done that. You talk about writing books. I mean, you've written books, and you already described all everything that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you didn't really answer the question. Okay, now, what's the next step, or do you know what that's going to be? Well, my most important work that I'm most excited about is my next book about exactly what we were just talking about. It's called Bridges to Heaven, True Stories of Loved Ones on the Other Side. And I really want to help people who are grieving because I can completely connect them to their departed. I think it's a very different thing when people are grieving and they go see a medium and the medium goes, oh, well, your husband says this, and they walk away feeling like, okay, now I know he exists somewhere, but they don't know how to access him on their own. I can teach everyone 
how to have a direct communication with their departed so that they understand that when someone dies, they don't leave them, that they are still accessible to guide them and help them. And it helps people so much when they're grieving to do this work and to understand that and say, gee, when I'm at home and I'm grieving, my departed uh, mate is still is watching me cry and saying, come on, get out of bed. <laughs> this isn't what I wanted for you. And and when they begin to have a conversation with that departed on their own, they can be so healed and it can help them so much. And that's really the future of my work is working with grieving clients. You have this amazing gift or this amazing talent. I mean, you say we're all intuitive, but maybe not quite in the same way that you are. Do you have other people that you talk to who have the same I guess, very sharp, intuitive skills that you have that you well, connect to? I think we can all learn to sharpen our intuitive gifts, and I think daily meditation, like I was talking about 20 minutes a day, really helps everybody sharpen that intuitive gift. And yet I train. I also train intuitive coaches. I've trained about 300 of them now around the country, and I teach them to do what I do. And I do think it is a very teachable process. Um, because I have these people come to me and they go, I'm not sure if I'm intuitive, and at the end of the training they're going, okay, I can do this. And my mission is, you know, if I had $5 million, Catherine, I would start <laughs> schools for intuitive living all over the country, and I would teach everyone to access their own right brain intuition, their own higher consciousness, so that all of us navigated from that instead of from our left brain fear-based monkey mind. Well, if you have all of these groups of people that you're training, it's kind of they're your disciples. Aren't they going to go out there and do just what you're talking about? I yes, mean, more, and they yeah. are. And I'm yeah. very happy because we're raising the awareness here that we can all live from our higher self, from our intuitive self, and that there's a thin veil between the worlds and we can access the higher realms. If we all knew that and experienced it in our daily lives, it would erase so much pain in people's lives. And especially if people have just lost someone they love and they're feeling completely grief-stricken, not understanding where that person went or if they can ever communicate with them, and suddenly being able to have a conversation with them where they can even hear their loved one speaking to them. Imagine how healing that would be for people. And also, don't you believe that most people act in their life all with fear rather than love and grace and they make choices from fear and I think a big part of that fear is fear of death and once we understand that death is really nothing but crossing into another realm then the fear of that goes away and we're more able to navigate from our love our intuition our higher self I would agree with you. I think that a lot of our, our behavior is motivated by fear. Yeah. Sometimes that tension can be good. I mean, because if you know that you're not going to have something forever, it makes you, it kind of energizes you to, to go ahead and, and, um, I think accomplish certain things. Right. Uh, you know, right. um, you know, I was just thinking in your work, uh, I mean, the worst or the most horrific kind of loss, I think, would be the loss of a child. I and, agree. Yeah, and it would seem to me that you, you know, in what you're doing in terms of helping people to deal with loss, 
that I don't know if that's something that you constantly yeah. focus on or those are my absolutely most important clients. If I could I would love every time I hear of anyone losing a child, I just want to go and wrap my arms around them and help them. It's just you know, my husband will tell you that I, I meet strangers in the grocery store and we start talking. I just want to help everyone who's grieving. You know, grief has been my greatest loss and greatest pain in this life. It wasn't just my husband who died, but my best girlfriend from childhood died from leukemia. So I've had a lot of loss, and and it's always taught me, it's all been designed to teach me that the thin veil between the realms is something we can access, that we can communicate with the departed, and that it helps heal us. And it is my life's mission to spend the rest of my years here helping everyone understand that i have to ask what your husband does oh he's the most wonderful guy he's an intuitive well he's a graphic designer and a marketing uh genius but he is purely intuitive and he understands it he uses it in his work as a designer but the best thing about my soulmate husband is that he supports my gifts my strangeness in a way that no other man ever did in my lifetime. And that's when you know you have your soulmate, is when your husband says, you have this gift, step out and be bold and proud, and is always pushing you to be your best self. That's what soulmates re- really are about. Yeah. I, I could, That is so true, and I, I think that's uh, maybe if mo- more of us chose our soulmates or our partners based on what you just said mm-hmm. people would be a lot happier that's and, right and because and that's i think people I, right. yeah i mean people choose their mates out of fear as well exactly they pick, they exactly pick that's yeah. what i write about in my new book i see your soulmate <laughs> yeah. because you know the, the the man or the woman who's going to take care of you financially or who right. has you it know, never works <laughs> that it, never it works out and we know it doesn't work out, and we have the statistics. I mean, we have the facts. We, I but know. We, you know, it, and you know, we all like facts. So, you know, show me how it doesn't work out. It doesn't work out, but we That's continue right. to do it. I, I guess, kind of going back to the beginning of our conversation, somehow we just have to, as you say, get away from acting out of fear. Exactly. Uh, but you say your husband is in the mar- is a marketer. I mean, some of the stuff that we're mark that we are that. Um, we get that we get marketed to, or the the company to us, I should say. Well, um, he he works it's, primarily it's, with natural foods products and that sort of thing, and, and entrepreneur busy businesses. Um, you know, he's he's just like me and his outlook on the world. So we live in Boulder, Colorado, and there are entrepreneurs at every corner in this town and starting big companies that end up to be hugely successful, especially in the natural foods world. And those are his clients, and uh, it's it's good. There's a whole lot of more entrepreneurial work these days, and, and we love supporting entrepreneurs. Yeah, that's terrific. I, I've really enjoyed talking to you today. I have. Um, it's been a pleasure. It's been a real pleasure. So, and uh, I want to t- uh, mention your book again. I can see your dream job, um, Sue Frederick. And uh, we're going to take a short break right now because our next guest is here, Susan Blum, MD. Um, great talking to you. Is there a website that we want yes. our listeners w- to go it's to? It's www.suefrederick.com. So it's my name, suefrederick.com. 
Can't forget that. Good. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're going to take a break. As I said, I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. We'll be back in a minute with Dr. Susan Blum. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Michelle Kors Six Degrees is your connected consciousness. Six Degrees is what comes around, goes around radio. Committed to delivering a fresh perspective on thought-provoking, investigative information that can change your life. Six Degrees connects you to the social and emotional scene and is your trusted advisor from finance to romance, mainstream to metaphysical. It's a positive, upbeat look at life, love, and the pursuit of passion. Get connected Saturdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is Dr. Susan Blum, founder of the Blum Center for Health in Rye, New York. She's an advisor to the Institute for Functional Medicine, serves on the Medical Advisory Board for the Dr. Oz Show, and is an assistant clinical professor in the Department of Preventative Medicine at Mount Sinai School of Medicine. Her new book is The Immune System Recovery Plan. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Dr. Blum. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Okay, we're going to be talking about your new book. Okay. Uh, and the book, The Immune System Recovery Plan, I assume responds to the fact that 23 million people, million Americans, one in 20 women suffer for some form of autoimmune disease. I think that's mind-boggling. Um, and apparently... According to you, the reason that we suffer as women from these autoimmune, from this autoimmune disease is because that we are eating foods which are full of toxins and not good for us. And hence, we're, many of us are very, well, 23 million are very, very sick. Yeah, well, I, I would say that, um, there's multiple reasons why we think that there's uh, there's an epidemic of autoimmune diseases. I, food is definitely on the list of the underlying causes. And so what I've tried to really lay out in the book is 
first of all, the idea that all these different autoimmune diseases are connected and that they have underlying common problems. And so rather than having a, you know, uh, an association for thyroid, uh, you know, uh, an autoimmune thyroid disease and there's a celiac, uh, you know, association and an MS association, you know, divided into multiple different diseases um, in terms of fundraising and research, that we really need to look at autoimmune diseases as a whole category of having the similar, same underlying causes. And when you look at those causes, there's a lot of research showing multiple different reasons that the immune system can get dysfunctional, I guess is the best way to say it. A lot of people don't really understand what an autoimmune disease is, so maybe I should just explain yeah, from I think the get-go. Ex- yes, explain that, because mm-hmm. and, and even some people think, well, an autoimmune disease is something you, you, you make up. Nobody believes you. That's another thing, too. Uh, mm-hmm. You're not... You know, it's something that you're not really sick. Um, well, well, some people are very sick, and but yes, but the, but in this category can be people that just don't feel right. You know, those chronically sick and tired, or feel puffy and inflamed, and don't know why. Um, because the immune, your immune system is your army of cells that defend your body from foreigners. They're supposed to defend you from an infection. You know, let's say a virus, a bacteria. And I think of them as, as an army, right? There are these cells, they run around your body, and they protect you. And they develop, and, and, and it, in, it so happens that in your intestinal lining, 70% of your immune system and those cells are there waiting to see what you're going to eat. You know, you bring the outside world into your mouth every day, right, all day. That's the biggest exposure you have to the outside world, actually, is through your mouth. And your immune system sort of lays in wait, ready to... Respond, and when it responds, they send out irritating chemicals that cause destruction of the foreigner, right? And in an autoimmune disease, those immune cells are activated by uh, by certain things, and we'll talk about those underlying causes. But they they get activated in a bad way, let's say, and they attack your body instead. So instead of sending out those chemicals to attack the foreigner the tissues in your body get attacked and there's inflammation, pain. So, And inflammation just means those chemicals are irritating those tissues and you can have swelling and pain sort of on the inside and those tissues get damaged. And so one of the causes, there's, there's a whole world in, uh, about food and concern about the way food can trigger the immune system to get sort of out of balance in this way. And one of the big food issues is, is gluten. And we can end up in a whole conversation about gluten. I know that, um, you know, it's an important topic that's being written about a lot right now because there's one famous um, autoimmune disease related to gluten, and that's celiac disease. But it turns out that gluten is associated with other autoimmune issues as well. So, um, so gluten, is gluten is a, is a really big problem. That, Dr. Blum, is gluten something that we just, as, and I say recent, it seems to me in terms of my awareness of uh, gluten not being good for you and having autoimmune disease, you know, maybe in the last 10, 15, 20 years, and mm-hmm. that's related to what we're eating as opposed to, say, 50 years ago when I never even heard the word gluten. Uh, Correct. Or her- yeah. I think there's a couple of issues and uh, reasons why gluten has become such a problem for us. Um, the first is in the food itself so that our wheat has changed, and uh, in the past 50 years, 
the actual genetics, uh, the plant was hybridized, and it just means that they morphed the plant into a different kind of wheat through genetic engineering. And so the gluten in the wheat plant is different now than it used to be. And I think that's the first thing that reader, you know, that the listeners need to keep in mind and the people reading the book where I explain a lot of this. Um, the other issue is that, and this is when you talk about, so my book is a four-step program for treating autoimmune disease and healing anybody's immune system, and that's because the four steps are, are food and the gluten, but step number three has to do with the gut. And, and the, one of the issues that we're having in our society right now is that our, I, the way I say it is our guts are a mess. Right, we all have. Everyone's taking in acids. Everybody has reflux and heartburn. Everybody's taking tons of antibiotics, and our gut flora, which are those good bacteria, you know, that that live there. There's a hundred trillion good bacteria that are supposed to live in our gut, and really help our immune system develop and be very healthy, are really out of balance. Stress is another thing that causes a change in our gut flora, and when the gut is out of balance, or there's all sorts of terms we use for that. It can increase the possibility that gluten's gonna, that the food you eat is going to be a problem. So the combination of the food being a little different, and it's not just the gluten. There's GMO foods, and, you know, the genetically modified foods, and um, but mostly gluten is the biggest trigger for autoimmune disease. It's the gluten and the way it interacts with our sort of imbalanced, unhealthy digestive systems. You know I that, two, that I, I just want to stop you there because I have two questions. Yeah. Uh, before you go on, for, what about number one, the quantity of food? Because you're talking about yes, everyone's yes. taking it acids and they feel terrible. And yep. but the quantity of what you're eating, I would think, would also have an impact on on yeah. your gut. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yes. And also, <laughs> when I go to the grocery store, and I've said this on the show a lot, many times. It's, I am really hard put to find something that doesn't have some kind of chemical in it. And I, I, I re, and I can't always or don't always want to go to a specialty store or I don't have time and I want to do a one-stop shopping, which many of us do. Uh, I maintain my weight. I really try to buy organically. But even then, I mean, everything has these chemicals, I guess. And it seems to me that that fits right into what you're talking about. Well, it is. And when you look at the four, the four foundational issues or causes of messing up the immune system or an autoimmune <laughs> disease or however we want to look at, because it's not just autoimmune disease. There's allergy and asthma and, you know, in epidemic proportions as well. And this is just the immune system being very, being triggered in an ongoing way and becoming dysfunctional, you know, not like out of balance and not working right. And so the number of four on this, on the checklist, the four step program, it's food, stress, gut, and toxins. And when you look at toxins and the toxins in the outside world that are coming into our body, there's a lot of research showing mercury in the fish, which we could talk about next, you know, yeah. triggering autoimmune disease and causing the immune cells to be dysfunctional, but also all those chemicals you're talking about. We're just, we're just beginning to learn, you know, the basic science in the lab about how those chemicals affect your immune cells and the development of the immune cells in your gut when you eat them because that's the first cells that see those things. So, and what we also know is that it's cumulative, right? So it's one thing if you say, well, I just have mac and cheese once a week. You know, okay, well, fine. I'm talking about maybe I'm, I don't want to pick on just mac and cheese. I'm just using it as an example of perhaps a box that has, you know, chemicals in it, some versions of it. And if you eat just, you know, if you have your one, you know, processed food with the chemicals once a week, it's different for your body than if it's at every single meal. 
every single day. And it accumulates and it will sort of overburden your body's ability to clear the toxins out. You know, your liver is in charge of clearing out all the toxins every day, you know, metabolizing and clearing them out. And at some point, the liver gets tired. You know, you can think of it like liver fatigue. It just can't handle that burden. And so the toxins can build up in your body and damage your immune system. Does that make sense? That makes, yes, that makes a lot of sense. And yes, it so the work that I time. do and that, and that yeah. I lay out in the book in terms of it's a plan, it's actually a program to treat this is, okay, well, let's work on the food and, and take out the foods that we know aren't good and let's help ba- ba- balance stress a little bit because stress hormones really affect your immune system. Most people know when they're really stressed, they get sick all the time. You know, it's a common sort of known thing. And um, here's how we're going to fix your gut and here's how we're going to help your body clear the toxins out. And that's just about supporting your liver. You know, helping your liver do a better job every day. And that will help not just your immune system, but also, you know, preventing cancer and preventing inflammation in the body in general. You know, so what is the responsibility? I mean, I think what you're saying, obviously, is, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying and I agree with you. But also, but then what's the responsibility of the food industry? I mean, you mentioned mac, mac and cheese and you mentioned, I think, I, I can't remember that where I just saw this or read it, the two mothers, maybe it was on YouTube, who yeah. are, are saying Isn't that, that a great, yeah. That's a great it, thing. And for the listeners who haven't heard it, that there's we have a mac and cheese version here in the United States, which has which is full of the wrong... <laughs> toxins and dyes, etc. But the ones, the mac and cheese that we send to Europe is is, is free of all these, these chemicals because they won't buy that. They won't buy it. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I remember years ago when my kids were, were younger, I, we went to Canada, you know, on, and rented a condo in, yeah. out, you know, skiing or whatever. And I went into the store to buy groceries and Heinz ketchup that was in Canada had no high fructose corn syrup. It just was tomatoes, Sugar and water. And when you came to the United States, the exact same bottle and the Oreo cookies, they had completely different ingredients in the two countries. And the label and the bar, it was the same packaging, but when you looked at the ingredient label, ours had all sorts of other chemicals and the things, you know, that we know are bad, like high fructose corn syrup. And in Canada, they didn't. I think that's a great example, and I'm going to give you another example. My partner and I, he and I, took a a road trip through Croatia last summer. We stopped at a gas station, and we wanted to have lunch. The lunch at this gas station in Croatia was served uh, on benches in the, you know, a nice environment. Sort of was very trees and on the grass behind the gas station, and and this the the food was fresh fruits and vegetables, and fresh yeah. breads, and fresh cheeses, and I thought, that, I mean, it, it's almost criminal making, you know, what we're doing here. I mean, we're talking about a gas station in Croatia. I know. Yeah. I, I think the good news, I think we're all waking up. In a way, I feel like we did a grand experiment on ourselves, you know, after the 50s to try to make, you know, 1950s on for this the second half of the last century, to try to make food production more convenient and cheaper and more accessible, and I think we just made a big mistake. You know, we really um, went off track, and there's a big, the pendulum went all the way in one direction, and um, my sense is that it's really coming, it's come back already a little bit, but now we have to bring it the rest of the way back, and I think consumer demand will really help, and also making healthy food uh, affordable is what's going to really help as well. 
you know. What about the financial part of it, though? Well, that's on me. Yeah, but I mean, like, a lot of people are making so much money. Actually, people make money on people who get sick. I mean, you know, the the diabetes, uh, type 2 diabetes. So... Well, I think, uh, you mean in terms of the medical establishment kind of thing? Well, I mean, in terms of the, well, I mean, in terms of, uh, yes, kind of. Well, I mean, it is a big to... industry treating these people, but I, I think it seems to me that as uh, in the medical world, we're all just struggling. And, I, and this isn't my approach because, as you can see, I'm, my background is preventive medicine. I'm a chronic disease specialist, and I believe in using lifestyle, helping people yes, change, yeah. and treating the foundational root of everything. But unfortunately, most people in the conventional world of treating chronic illness, they don't have the tools or the time to really help people change their lives in that way because you really have to go back to managing food, managing stress, reducing toxins by, you know, the food you're choosing, you know, and, get it, and of course, there's an industry um, helping get the toxins out of our foods is certainly a part of it. But in some ways, I just think in the medical world, we're just playing, we're just, a lot of people are chasing their tail. They're just trying to keep people alive because they don't really know how else to help people get to the root cause. And that's why there's this whole world of integrative medicine that's really blowing up, I think, and of which functional medicine, which is my specialty, is really blowing up. And when you take, you know, um, diabetes, for example, my colleague Mark Hyman just um, wrote a, the blood sugar solution. It's really about looking at the root causes and helping people make change. And I know you're big about communication and um, how important that is, and engaging people to be your partner, right in the process. Yes, because absolutely. This and is I, not going to happen. Yeah. But there have to be. Mark Hyman was on the show. I think I can't remember a few months ago or last year. And I think that there are. Unfortunately, less people like he and you. We need yeah. more doctors like you, but they have to come out of the medical schools. Obviously, are the medical schools teaching preventative medicine? Yeah. So, so function. So, yes, the medical schools are, and and functional medicine and integrative medicine is making its way into medical schools now. So, there's a um, there's electives in functional medicine now in several medical schools. There's uh, an integrative medicine phys- uh, certification for physicians now that's, a, that's um, going to be uh, the American College of Physicians is um, launching its uh, physician certification starting in 2016, and there's a path to that already, um, you know, which I'm on and many of my colleagues are. And the, like the Institute for Functional Medicine, for example, we have our annual conference in May. It's sold out already. Last year we had 800 people, of which 600 were physicians. You know, come to the training. So, and and our and this year's conference, which is like I said, the first weekend in June, it's at IFM uh, no, functionalmedicine.org is their website. We're sold out again already. Like I have people that are on the waiting list that are trying to go. So there's it, there's a movement. You know, we're definitely part of a movement, and I think part of the issue is that my colleagues in the conventional world are not happy. Do it, practicing medicine because they're not really helping people get better. They're just giving people pills to treat the symptoms. Yeah, and it's the kind end, of a maintenance thing. It's just, a maintenance thing, and it's depressing. You know, and people come in and they're just not. They just get, continue to get worse and worse, and you're just trying to sort of keep them from drowning. You know, versus really taking them out of the water into the boat. Yeah. You know, and um, and so I I just feel so lucky, you know, that I get to practice medicine this way because I really 
found this approach, the functional medicine approach, is really about helping people fix the root causes and fix their foundations, which is why I wrote the book. Because yeah, you're right, there aren't that many of us. But in the book, I can get that word out, that there's hope. You can actually cure the causes of your illness and reverse the whole thing and get better without, medic- you know, without needing those kinds of medications. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, obviously uh, what you're doing is fantastic work. It's great, and you are. You're, you're writing books and going on radio and television and getting it out there. Also, it's not just the doctors. It's the whole staff. I mean, it's a whole kind of attitude change that has to come from within the profession, but not just doctors, I don't think. I mean, the nurses, the yeah, physician's oh, yes. assistants, the, you know, all of them. Yeah. It's a culture. It's a culture. It is is a culture. And, it's and, a culture. Uh, do you notice the changes in the young doctors, for instance? Well, um, I do. As a matter of fact, I was last week. I was at Mount Sinai. Um, I've gone. There's a an integrative medicine elective at Mount Sinai Medical School, and I I went three times to just be on a panel, and I gave them a nutrition talk one day. You know, at one of their sessions, and there's like 50 of them. You know, in this elective, and they're very interested, and they're all going to. Um, really continue to uh, bring in this flavor into whatever they do. And so I, I think that 10 years ago you wouldn't have had an elective. This is the second year that there's been this elective. So I, I really, and I see that, and I, from what I understand from speaking to them, and there's this integrative medicine consortium that's in all the, med- that's overseeing getting this in all the medical schools, I, um, I see a big change. And I really, um, because the other reason why I believe that change has to be afoot and is afoot is because people have to, people are acknowledging that our patients are finding this elsewhere if they're not finding it with us. So they're, they're buying supplements, they're going to acupuncture, they're going to see the chiropractor, you know, they care, they want to, they want nutrition counseling. And so the demand is there, and if you're a doctor in the 21st, cent- 20- 21st century and you're not, um, I had to think about that for a second. <laughs> what <laughs> um, century is this? <laughs> oh, my, what century is it? Um, if, if you're a doctor in the 21st century and you, your patient comes in and you can't be well-versed in all the different things that they're doing, you're not going to be an effective uh, help for them. You know, you have to know what those supplements are. You have to know what what they're up to, you know, and, and the industry, as you know, probably the statistics even better than I, about how much money people are spending on supplements, on um, getting help outside the box, you know, you, doctors have to know what's going on. Yeah, and they have, and, uh, well, and also doctors and healthcare professionals, and then also the consumer now has access to all this information. I mean, well, I they know. Could, yeah. Which is a good thing, and doctors and and patients can work together. So, um, but you really have to, I guess, I don't know, keep up the fight. I, I hate to say it, but I think, I mean, it's really. Oh, we important. are. We're yeah. not going away, yeah. and and but and the way to do it is to, um, like I said, like to, I have my, I feel that responsibility to keep writing, get the word out. My colleagues are doing that. Um, I'm at the medical school trying to help. You know, teach them. You know, doing my part to teach medical students. Um, I really am trying to help that process. And all of us that are doing this work are doing the same, or at least we are trying to do that. Um, I know that I can't 
treat everyone, but everyone is trying to come find me and people like me. And I know that because I get emails every day. Oh, that was my next question. What was the response to your book? Well, the book is first coming out on Tuesday. This is the first response. I know. You're my first response. You're my first. um, um, My call with you today is sort of the the launch of the whole book launch. Fantastic. Yeah, so we're very. That's great. We're very excited. And um, officially, it's this April 2nd, but you can pre order the book now on Amazon. I have a a whole immuneprogram.com section of my website, which talks about the book and explains the book, and so that's a great place to go if you want to know more about the book right now, um, immuneprogram.com. And um, the book, so the book comes out on Tuesday, and so we're starting our whole sort of launch this week, and we're very very excited to, uh, my fingers are crossed, you know. (laughs) It's great, and I'm glad that I I had you on the show, because uh, immuneprogram.com, and you can go to the Blum Center for Health.com. Exactly. And, uh, And we've been talking to Dr. Susan Blum, M.D., and her book, The Immune System Recovery Plan, is will be hot off the press on Tuesday. Thanks so much for being on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Great having you. Uh, we have to say goodbye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you are listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.